Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here too, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it just shows that because the civil war is, is over, doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. It's Thursday. It's your sports show. And boy, Scott, <laughs> being a golf podcast, we've got some stuff to talk about today. Yeah, you know, uh, you had laid out a very good plan that we had for a show. Uh, it was something I was looking forward to discussing, and I thought, you know, we were going to have a lot of fun with it. And then all of a sudden, Tuesday morning, we heard the news, and suddenly those plans we had to set aside somewhat. We'll still talk a little bit about those things, but, you know, first we have to address the elephant in the room. Yeah, it's... Elephant's kind of an understatement, right? For for those of you who, I guess, somehow missed it, it's coming out on Thursday and the news broke on Tuesday. But, um, you know, the PGA Tour and Live are no longer in competition. Uh, the, the Saudi General Investment Fund um, is now sending a lot of money to the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is being split into two separate factions, one for profit, one nonprofit. Jay Monahan has been named the CEO of the new for-profit PGA Tour, and one of the Saudi investment people is on the is the director of the board uh, for this new organization. So, really, a a big shock to a lot of the golf world because this is not something that had been talked about at all. Um, you know, Phil did say say some kind of interesting comments at the PGA tournament at the PGA. Uh, where he said, you know, I, I know a lot more than what you guys do about what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, apparently, Jay Monahan uh, had been working on this for seven months uh, without keeping the players in the loop at all. Um, they made such a big deal out of staying loyal. And, 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 you know, if you're on the PGA Tour, you don't have to worry about where the money comes from and all this other stuff. And then he just caves. You know, if, if you want to call it, it was, a, it was a business opportunity, he had a chance to acquire this league or whatever it was. I don't know, Scott, but um, I'm pissed. I I feel as a fan betrayed, right? I feel like as a fan, we were asked to make a choice. I feel like we were asked to decide, um, you know, are we a fan of this new upstart league? Are we going to support that? Or are we going to stay loyal to the PGA Tour? 
And I think a lot of golf fans stay loyal. And, you know, I know I've been kind of vocal at some points about my disdain for the live tour. And what, what do we get for that? You know, we're all sitting here with egg on our face as these guys are all going to be welcomed back with open arms. You got to pay a little bit of a fine and then they can get their PGA tour card back. I mean, I, I, I I'm it's, and you mentioned something in the other show is the success these live guys are having. I guarantee the Ryder Cup has something to do with it. The PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup for the American side. And so if the best player in the world right now is Brooks Kepka and he's not available for your team, what's that look like? And so, you know, hypocrisy, that name is Jay Monahan right now. Whew. Boy, that is, this is a bottomless pit. And I think on the one hand, if you just want to look at it from a, pure golf perspective it makes sense i guess i mean when you look at the last you know the champion of you know winner of the pga championship is a live golfer and maybe there was some panic there you know and, and we were you know sports radio has been talking about major mergers like if you go back like the first major merger would have been whenever the AFL, the NFL joined, and they actually came to that agreement in 1966. So, I mean, you have the Jets winning the Super Bowl in 68. A lot of people thought that was the impetus for it, but they actually they had agreed to join before then. But, you know, I think they're, you know, maybe they're looking at it thinking like, well, how can, you know, you have a Ryder Cup team where maybe 25% of them should be live golfers and are not. Yeah. I, I, I understand it on that level. The problem is, is that you just, it's hard to get around. And, and of course, FIFA had the same problem when they decided to, you know, station you know, the world cup in Qatar. How do we possibly overlook all just the bad press that's going to come from this? You know, they were joking about it on the air, but this is true. Women didn't get the right to drive in Saudi Arabia until 2018. Uh, the WWE has done several things over there. Uh, the divas have to wear full body suits because they can't wear what they normally wear and do it in Saudi Arabia. I mean, uh, are women even getting the rights you know, to work? Are they getting the rights to have an education? You know, this is, this is a big deal, you know, and, and you got to wonder who you're getting in bed with. I saw the perfect analogy for it on, it was on Twitter. Uh, did you ever watch The Office? Oh, yeah. They, it, I, I noticed at one point today that the Michael Scott Paper Company was trending on Twitter. And that's ba they basically compared Live Golf to the Michael Scott Paper Company, where he goes off, he quits, and then he sits there and he negotiates his way right back into the company. And I mean, that's essentially what these guys did. They left, they got a fucking bag and then they're just going to come right back home. So how do you feel if you're Rory who was sent out there to the podium to be crucified on a weekly basis and you could have had a hundred, hundred million dollars. It could have been you and you could have come right back to the PGA tour. Harold, Harold freaking Varner gets $50 million. I mean, how many of these struggling mid-level pros, like if you're number 80 in the world and you turned it down, how pissed are you right now? Well, you know, there are plenty of scumbags in this deal, but I was reading this, you know, this tweet from Phil Nicholson. Basically saying, well, you know, Liv would have worked out perfectly for Rory because he needs a break, you know, after these majors. 
But there's no team that would take him. And I was like, you fucking jackass. He's going to be like, within within a month. He's going to be on the team with Kep, with the Kepka brothers. And it's going to be an all Nike team. Like that's, there's a lot of rumor. That's why this happened is Nike wanted to have like an all Nike team. Cause can you, and, and in the world of team golf, can you imagine Brooks Kepka, fucking Roy McIlroy all on the same team? That's a badass team. Yeah. And I think what would, it is like I said, the golf side makes perfect sense. I get it. You know, you want all the best golfers, you know, playing as many of your big events on both sides of the coin. I, I get it. But look where you're having to go to bed with. I mean, it, it's just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think you know, if this doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth, then I, I don't know what to tell you. There's so much I told you so going on on Twitter right now from the live supporters. They see this as a win. They see this as ha ha. We got over on you. I'm I'm curious. Like I don't think we'll ever get an opportunity, but I'd love to see like the books on live tour. I'd like to see how much how much money they lost. What as they because this is the end, right? Like live is gone officially. I think there's going to be some separate tournaments in the off season. How are they going to do it with the PJ Tour now using those formats? But I I'm under the understanding that live golf is no more. So that's going to go to bed with, I'd like to know how much money in the red. Because it's got to be more than a billion dollars in the red right now. Oh, and, they, and you know the Saudis love this. Because now the Saudis, you know, it's a perfect, I think, level of investment for them. Because, you know, as a, as a financial venture for them, there is no way this was going to work out. I mean... This is like there was a, I remember there was a Simpsons episode where they found like a where Montgomery Burns and Homer find a trillion dollar bill and uh, they were gonna, they went to Cuba and we could trust the uh, president of Cuba and you know you, you see Castro sitting there saying we knew this communist mumbo jumbo wasn't going to work out then all of a sudden he gets this trillion dollar bill and he just steals it and he's like what trillion dollar bill I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about Live is they're getting an inflection of cash here. They're going to get to host a certain number of events, which is going to be good for them. But you know, th- this is a huge bailout for them. I mean, th- this is they they definitely are getting over on this and, one. And I would think it's probably the end of Greg Norman, right? I, I as far as and any capacity relating to this tour, right? Like he already someone had taken a step back. And they brought in somebody who was thought to be a good negotiator, you know, and then it looked like at that point, maybe it was going to happen and then it went dead, but that was about seven months ago. So that's that timeline someone adds up. And so I I don't know if this is the end of Greg Norman in, in that sense, but I can't see him being associated with this. He hates the PGA tour. Yeah. Let me, uh, Greg Norman kind of reminds me of Bill Gibson. I mean, they kind of came of age at kind of the same time, you know, the eighties. The old road warrior. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Norman was cool back then. Bill Gibson was cool back then. Then all of a sudden you get all the anti-Semitism and you're like, oh. And so Norman's kind of the same way. You're just like, oh, so you're that kind of asshole. Okay. <laughs> and, and he, of course, there's no way he's competing on any level in anything. I mean, uh, you know, Bernard Lugger is probably going to kick his ass up and down a golf course these days. So, you know, there's no way he could go play at anything and, and 
be anything more than just a spectacle of his, of his former self. Yeah, it's it was the writing was on the wall for Norman. You know, he he was never going to play nice. I think I don't know what his his end goal here. Maybe he goes back to making fashionable golf clothes. Because I'll be honest with you, Scott, I rock I rock a lot of Norman shit. They they have it at Costco now. Yep. And you know what? The guy makes great clothes. I'll give him that. You know, if he wants to stay in the in the polos and the fabric, you know, beautiful fabric pant game, I'm all for it because I'm enjoying all my Norman pair, all my Norman clothes. But other than that, I, I just don't see what his position in the world of golf is anymore. I think, you know, if there if there's a way that this deal could have buried the hatchet and with it allows Greg Norman to go play on the senior tour, maybe. But like you said, I don't think he's we haven't seen him play in, in God knows how long. What would he even do out there? Who knows? And so, yeah. He's inspired by uh, every year has become a tradition at the Golfathon. And I've got a pair of checkered purple shorts. And, you know, a purple short uh, shirt that you can see from probably two miles away. And I wear that every, every Friday at the Golfathon. And this is something you're bragging about? Absolutely. Because my uncle, actually, he, he was wearing lavender shorts for a while. So, I mean, it was, you know, it, it, you, you get, you know, that's kind of the funny thing about golf is that, you know, you could wear some really awful clothes. Uh, I remember it, senior year of high school, um, like four of the five high, uh, seniors that were on the golf team were all in the same forensic science class, which was six period. And then golf class was seven period. And our, our golf coach was a, was an asshole senior year on our third coach in four years. It was the baseball coach who came over and thought we need to be coached harder. And this guy was just a fucking asshole. So we decided we're going to, we're going to fuck with him and we're all going to abandon the clothes we had bought for brought for practice. We're going to go home and we're going to get the most outrageous shit that we can put on. And then we're going to come back to practice just to piss this guy off. And so like we go to Miss Weister, who was our, our teacher and Hey, you know, is there any way you can let us go like 15 minutes early today? We'll sneak out. We'll go to the parking lot. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. So we do. And I, I go and I have these salmon pants. And then I put on like this green golf shirt. And I look like a fucking watermelon. And then our buddy Sean Madeira had a pair of knickers. So he went full Payne Stewart look out there one day. And then like my other buddy Kyle had like one of those really old school polos that like Tiger wore in the U.S. amateur kind of shit going on. I mean, we looked ridiculous. And our coach Wood was pissed. When he showed it, well, this is not fucking golf attire. Yeah, you know, just like, yeah, it is. I got a, I got a color in here, coach. I can't help that my pants are pink. What are you going to do? Well, you know, our, our coach, uh, he retired soon after uh, we went through there. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, it's kind of sad. Uh, his, his, his Pud, his nickname was Pud. And his his thing was that he drove the basketball team when Kruger was still coaching. Which, can, you know, shows you how much Kruger wanted to drive because uh, he was absolutely the worst bus driver I've ever seen in my life. But the funny story was after we, after we graduated, he needed to come back as a permanent sub because whoever they had left like mid-year. And so he comes on the board Comes in the room, writes shit in like 90 point font, you know, size on the chalkboard. Well, I don't know if it's a chalkboard or whiteboard by that point. But the department head comes in 
and is telling all these kids about how you know how you know, lucky they are to have him because basically he put this you know word on the board he's told the kids y'all have a problem if i say this word class and they're like no you're good and so she she was you know talking about this whole time and she never saw it apparently never turned around and looked at the board uh but yeah he was he was a classic you know you talked about you know being hard he never came out to the golf course uh, because he had a huge gambling problem. Like he was telling us once how he lost $9,000 in nine holes of golf. If you can imagine, you know, on a teacher's salary back in those days, my God. I mean, when I first started teaching, that would have been a third of my salary. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you, how you can make that work, but, I know. I thought you had a great topic other than live, so I'm going to let you set up that topic, you know, for us because I, you know, I want to talk about something more fun than certainly uh, geopolitics and golf. Yeah, Scott. I, I for the last couple of years have been enamored uh, with the idea that I'd love to be a caddy. I would absolutely love to, you know, find a young corn fairy guy you know, help him ride his way to the PGA tour. And, you know, I know I'm not good enough to play on tour, but I, I really do think if, if I had the right opportunity with the right player, I think I'd be a fantastic caddy. Maybe I'm patting myself on the back. Maybe, I'm, you know, maybe it's true. Who knows? But, and then kind of from there, you and I were talking about it and it's like, well, what would, what would a caddy do for our round? You know, I, I'd like to know if I got even not even like a PGA caddy, right? Just go to one of these nice fancy clubs that has, that has a caddy there for you to coach you through the round. I'd love to know what the difference in my score for rounds would be. And and that's kind of where you and I were at when we decided, Hey, let's, let's bring this one to the show because um, it would be interesting to kind of be able to say, let me play this course one time with a caddy one, one time without, and let's compare the scores. So have you ever actually played with a caddy? I've never played with a caddy in my life. Okay. So back when I was, uh, when I was in high school, uh, my dad was his assistant superintendent in Pasadena. And so he got, and, and he was in charge of building all the schools. Basically, to to put it in a nutshell, every employee of the district that was not certified was his. So he's in charge of maintenance. He's in charge of transportation. He's in charge of food services. He's in charge of you know, technical services. So anybody who's like just, you know, basically your grunt, you know, nine to five kind of person. Um, but we would occasionally, uh, we would get to go to baseball games. We get to go. So his rule and the rule that you know, he lived by was basically if he could consume it, then he could have it. And so there was a guy that he knew who was uh, in the business who was a member at champions. And so I've, I've actually, I've been able to play uh, the same champions course uh, two or three times that they played, you know, the U.S. Open at one year. Uh, they've played the tour championship there a couple of times and they didn't have golf carts for a while. And so I had a caddy, honest to God caddy. Now, I don't know. Have you ever played champions? No, you have not. 
the one thing about Champions is that Champions is an old-fashioned golf course, and it is one of the it's one of the best courses I've played because it's a course that if you're a about a ten handicap, you'll shoot in the eighties. It may be the high eighties, but you'll shoot in the eighties. And I remember playing there, shooting about eighty six, eighty seven, because what they do is the golf course itself is not really all that hard. It's just, they make it really long if you're going to be out on tour. But the other thing that they had, those greens were 80 yards deep in some cases. And so you better believe having a caddy there, they could sit there and say, Hey bud, this pins in the back. You're going to have to throw, you know, add two or three more clubs, you know, to what you're thinking. That was invaluable. Uh, and and the, the great thing about the caddies that, you know, and they're pretty smart is that they could watch you for five or six holes and they could figure out, okay, you're 150 out. You know, the way you hit, you're an eight iron or you're a nine iron or seven iron or whatever the case may be. And so I think the great thing about having a caddy on that end was that there's somebody who, I mean, they want a tip, so they want you to play well. And so they're going to be, they're going to give you a course. They're going to uh, give you advice. They know the course backwards and forwards. They're going to sit there and say, like, maybe you're in the woods or be like, uh, I don't know that I'd try to thread the needle here. Uh, Haas. You know, maybe you ought to chip it out into the fairway. Um, that's where I think, as a caddy, I would probably be, you know, the most beneficial is, you know, helping some young kid think their way around. Because, you know, there's obviously, you know, times where you're like, okay, you got a 270 carry over this water ha- hazard. Maybe laying up is the better play here. You know, something like that. Um, to me, the only thing that's really going to hold me, would hold me back from the caddy is honestly the physical end of it because those are some heavy bags in most tournaments you're you know you're walking it four days in a row i don't know if you've ever actually used a pedometer to see how much you walk on a golf course but even with a cart you're talking three four miles yeah it's like nine miles to walk 18 holes yeah so if you can you imagine walking nine ten miles a day carrying Nearly, you know, a hundred pounds every day. I could do it. I I think I could do it. I I would, I think I could do it, but I would have to like work and get good shape. Yeah. You you could train. Yeah. You train. And then honestly, you know, maybe you you ask the player for the first bit, Hey, how about we uh, give me one of those lighter carry bags for a little bit? Do we really need, do we really need the big staff bag? I mean, come on now. Help a caddy out. Yeah, do you, I don't know. Do you have a stereo in this thing, like a Roddy Dangerfield? So what? <laughs> so what? So let's <laughs> You know, my, I actually have a long history of caddying in the Costello family. Uh, my dad, all of his brothers caddied growing up. A lot of my cousins caddied uh, that lived up in that area at the same club. And then one of my uncles, like, he caddied till he was 70 or 75 years old. 200 bucks a loop he'd make out there. Um, I mean, this is an elite club. And so essentially he would, he would cheat for you. Like he, he would give you your club and he'd work his way down the fairway about, you know, 200 yards down, you'd hit your drive. By the time you got to your ball, it's propped up, sitting pretty ready to go. 
That's like a job. You'll, you'll never lose a ball out sounds there. Like, with, sounds like a job, uh, a job from a, a Goldfinger. I don't know if you ever saw that. Movie. I did. I mean, it's essentially the same thing, right? And I, I asked him, you know, Uncle Jerry, these these people are okay with you, like, cheating for them? He goes, Tim, the amount they pay me, they expect it. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the uh, – there was a movie where you had Ray Romano and Gene Hackman. Yeah, it's called uh, the campaign or something like that. Yeah, no, no, no. no welcome to Mooseport. Welcome to Mooseport. Yeah, and Gene Hackman is the former president, and uh, and he's never in the woods. And you're like, what the yeah, hell? Because the Secret that? Service kept like bailing him out. What are you dick hooking? But I love the one hole where he sits there and says, "I get a free shot." He, he said, "I get a throw. I get one throw." He has one throw, but he also gets a shot, and so he knocks Ray Romano's ball out of bounds. Says, "There you go." You're lying to in three. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, a good but, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is uh, best and worst golf courses slash golf holes that we have played and come across. Because uh, the story I was thinking, right, uh, my, my mother is from Edna, Texas. Have you even heard of Edna, Texas? I have not, no. And the Texas actually, oddly enough, made the New York Times because uh, when I was a kid back in the 1980s, a Walmart came to town and basically closed down every grocery store and every, you know, there used to be an old fashioned. As they do. <laughs> there used to be an old fashioned drugstore that actually had the old fashioned lunch counter where you could get like a sandwich and a shake and you could and this thing closed down with Walmart. Well, it made the, the uh, New York Times because of f- about five years ago, the Walmart closed down. And so the town is like in a panic because like, where the hell are we going to get prescription drugs? You know, where in the hell are we going to get, you know, our groceries? They had to suddenly open up uh, a bunch of dollar stores. But here was a funny thing. There was a nine hole golf course out there. And my dad and I knew we were in trouble when we called them initially and said, you know, can we get a tea time today? They're like, a what? A tea time? They're like, a what? It's like a reservation. Oh, no, no, no. Come on down. And so, you know, you know how St. Andrews has the road hole? There was one of the holes out there we just called the turbine hole because there was a turbine actually on the, on the golf hole. But the stupidest hole I've ever seen in my life, I swear to God. And I'm not exaggerating. It's a par five and about 280 yards away from the tee box stands about 20 trees, about 30, 40 feet tall in the middle of the damn fairway. And so you're like, what the hell? <laughs> what am I supposed And these are things like if you hit your drive 270, you're not clearing those trees. So then you have to sit there and go, okay, do I do I hit it 200 off the tee and just kind of go for another, like, you know, high iron shot and maybe luckily get through the trees? Or do I hit one, you know, kind of a low, you know, knockdown shot? Get It was just the dumbest. I'm like, who the hell puts this together? So, yeah, that's what made me, you know, and I was thinking of, you know, the topic – just you know, absolutely some of the worst designs ever. I got one for you that I, 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 you should be able to remember this one. So if I remember correctly, 
seven on Clear Lake Golf Course is a par four. Eight's the par three. Nine's the par four, right? Or is it seven the par three? No. Uh, well, eight. if you're okay, so are you talking? Uh, the, the one, way I would have played when it, one the, was by the range. Yes. Okay. Seven was a par four. Okay. Eight so was a par whole. five. Eight was a par five, and then nine was the par four. So then six was a par three. Six was a par five. Five was the par three. Okay. Two and five. Two and five are par three. Okay, so there was a par four. Well, maybe it was the par five where it had a big fucking tree right on the left-hand side. Okay. And I, I, at this point, I couldn't hit a draw. Could not hit a draw. And the only play on this hole was to hit a big fucking draw. Yeah. And I probably put more balls into this tree just because there was nowhere to go. I, I would have had to hit like a wedge to have to hit it over this tree and then have, you know, 300 and something yards out afterwards. And so that one was one of the worst. And then there's the same thing. I love this golf course. I love Magnolia Creek golf course. There's one tree on that whole golf course. And the, and, and the hole is called the lone pine. And that tree is right in the fucking middle of the fairway. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, is smack dab right where you want to tee off. That's the line that you want to take is right where the tree is. And it's like, I, I get the, the novelty of it, but fuck, man, that's well, that's annoying. It's really annoying. Well, the problem I remember is that you. So, if you go, it's a dog leg right. So, but not go, as much as you think. It draws you right back into the fairway, of the par five that's coming the other way. Well, but if you go down the right hand side of that tree, there's all that junk on the left that you could, you know, if you're getting into rough over there, because I thought there was like a big bunker wonder. There's a big high hill with the grunt with the uh, yeah grass on, the high grass oh. on top. So they're going to make you go left of that tree, which makes that you know hole go longer. Oh uh, yeah, so that I remember that one. Uh, there, yeah, there's all kinds of so Waterwood National. Uh, I never played it like this, but on the 18th hole, there used to be a bunker in the middle of the green. So the green was like looked like a donut. You know, so in, in the hole, the donut is a bunker. Uh, so she, could you sit there and imagine that you hit the front side of the green, the pins on the back side? You're like, I've got to get out my wedge and chip over this bunker of the fucking green. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I mean, it, uh, luckily, like I said, I never played that. And I don't know if you, you knew this, but uh, speaking of renovations, Bay Oaks is going under major renovations right now. I, I, I follow a lot of the club core clubs on Facebook. I follow Bay Oaks. I saw that. Um, I When that golf course is in good shape, it's a fantastic golf course. But the last time I played out there, I was in shock of, of how far it has fallen, how bad the greens were. And I knew how much I was working at the club core at the time. They were charging for that place. And I couldn't believe it because I remember – we used to joke growing up that we always had a standing tea time on Christmas Day um, because, of course, it's closed that day. And so we would park um, on my high school girlfriend's street who lived off the third hole because we always got something golf related for Christmas. So my dad, my brother and I would walk three through eight and then we'd get back in the car and drive back home. And I remember thinking just as a kid how nice that golf course was. And when I went back to play it last time, it was it was in rough shape. And that's and that's another interesting thing we could talk about too, Scott, is I've got courses that fit in both these categories. There are some of my favorite courses I've ever played, and then they got let go to a point of, of no return 
And there's now one of the worst courses I've ever played, such as Clear Lake Golf Course, right? When I first started learning the game of golf, that was a great course. It was it was a shot maker's golf course. You had to be able to work the ball out there, hit it high, hit it low. Um, and it's a shame I, I never got to play it at my best because they decided they wanted to try and turn it into apartment buildings. And they killed the killed the greens on purpose and then even fucked that up because they didn't read the fine print and they couldn't turn it into apartment complexes. So they killed the golf course that everybody loved that was pretty busy too. It was a busy course. It wasn't like it was dying for no reason. And I think, um, and I, you've probably played Bay Oaks more recently than I have, but the the, the advertisements for it are bit grass greens, which I don't remember them having. So I don't know if that's what they're building now. That's probably what they're building. I don't remember them having bent grass. Well, I remember those them are... always being quick. Like they were, they were good greens. They used to have really good greens because we got we got one day a week there in high school. We would that's, get like that's Wednesdays. Be hard. Well, you know, the deal that they made with our golf coach was that they would let us play there every day my junior and senior year, as long as he kept the, uh, the teams small, but see, he hated cutting people. And so I had, I, there was a guy I know, uh, who was a year ahead of me. He never played. He never played a tournament. He never played in practice. They went to Casa Olay every day, uh, because Casa Olay, they, in fact, they created, uh, a policy they had because they would go there, they would order a Coke and they would just sit there and eat chips, drink Coke for like two, three hours and then go home because our coach never went to the golf course. So he never, you know, managed to check up and, you know, see if anybody actually showed up. So after three semesters, this guy quits the golf team because that's how many, you know, semesters of PE you had to have back in those days. So I just did it to get my PE credit. It's like, God, that's ballsy. Uh, but that's just the that's way. How ballsy as a coach to ever want to show up at practice? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. How are you ever going to get better? Well, it's like you know, and 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 I pissed him off once because I I I started writing for the newspaper, you know, the school newspaper, and I was talking about the fact that we had a disadvantage. I think, particularly when we were playing at Clear Lake Country Club. Clear Lake's a nice course, but when you're playing those teams like in the Woodlands and all the courses they get to play, it's like we had a disadvantage. And he's like, you know, oh, all these people, these complaining, says, you know what, if you get up off your ass and actually do something, you know, maybe we'd have a better situation. But, you know, they, they, they stopped letting us have uh, free range balls. We had to start paying for range balls at Clear Lake. And then in order for us to play nine holes, we'd have to work afterwards. You know, so we're not going home until like seven, eight, nine o'clock. That's you know, horseshit. It is. But see, he never showed up to the golf course. So when the golf pro sitting there saying, this is what you got to do to play my course, who are we to say different? Because our golf coach, the only adult in the room, is not there. So, you know, when the pro sitter says, this is what you got to do to play, it's like, well shit okay so that's when we started they they had the uh the gas uh carts where they had you know a governor we figured out that if you you lifted up the engine you bent the governor a little bit you could go about 30 miles an hour in those carts and so we're sitting there riding the course we're jumping sand traps i mean it was just you know you're racing back to the clubhouse it's it's a miracle none of us you know died or got seriously hurt but you know 
I guess it was fun while it lasted. Weren't y'all like a pretty good team? My freshman year, we went to state. Uh, the reason why we went to state is because we had our senior, we had a guy who just, he was a great golfer. I mean, he had hit his club so often, he had worn out the sweet spot on his irons. Oh, the circle of death? And so he uh, he never used a driver. He he would tee off with, uh, I don't know, do you remember the old-fashioned spoon? Yeah, the absolutely. Spoon? Yeah, he, he, had a, he had a spoon on. And I remember my spoon was my three-wood. You know, back in those days. Yeah, because I could hit an eight and a half half degree driver as high as I wanted. Uh, It was definitely the opposite of my game today. Uh, We had a a foreign exchange student from Spain who played exactly like Seve Ballesteros. Swing was like exactly the same. We had one from Sweden. uh, And then we had a couple of other pretty good golfers. I made like, I think, two varsity tournaments that year but I had to play my ass off to qualify for those. I mean, I had to basically average like a 39 in nine holes of golf in order, yeah. to, in order to qualify for those. And I could never play to that because, you know, Clear Lake was a lot easier than the courses we were playing. And so there was no way, even if I was playing good golf, there's no way I could, I could play to a 78, you know, on any of these golf courses that we're playing. Uh, but the whole thing was your two foreign exchange students leave. Senior guy wore out the, uh, the sweet spot on his irons. He graduates. So we don't have anything left, really. Everybody we had was playing in the 80s. And, and you know full well, if you, your top four golfers are all 80 or above, you're not winning any golf tournaments. No. Uh, we had one guy that transferred from Dobie who I remember. And, and he, he was the saddest case that I think I remember because – I played the tournament at Bay Forest with him. He shot 72 and didn't make a putt longer than a tap in. And I I never saw him play that good ever again. His grandfather was always grinding him into the ground. And he could never break 75 in high school. This is a guy at 13, 14 years old shooting a 72. I mean, it was just, you know, I watched him get a double on number seven out at Bay Forest where he is head high in two. And he just, you know, flubbed a couple of chips and uh, otherwise he could have broken 70. I mean, it was just, but he was the only good golfer we had for those last three years. That's crazy to me because like even... I would say our first two years were the best. We had Coach Jessic uh, as our golf coach, and that, he, he really cared. Would have range days. He would drive in the cart, you know, checking on every group. And then junior year, we get Coach Tommy Tucker, um, who he had won two state titles in Port Aransas. But then, like you dig more into it, and you realize he had a golf team like yours, where you just had some four exchange students for two or three years that were really, really good, and then that went away, and they weren't good anymore. And so now this guy decides he wants to play on the senior PGA tour and what better way to fund your practice than by being a high school golf coach. So he would always just go to the back of the range and work on his game. And if you wanted help, you go back there. If not, you go play. And then finally senior year, we got the baseball coach who was just a fucking nightmare. 
And like this guy made us run. We had like conditioning days on two on Friday, Mondays and Fridays. We had to run a mile or whatever it was, uh, and lift weights and all this other stuff. And like, you know, we're, we stopped focusing so much on the swing, and it was all about like mental preparedness and all this other shit. And you know, I but I had two good years of instruction, freshman sophomore year, and but the coaches, no matter what, our coach is always there. Like I can't imagine a world where the coach doesn't come to practice. Like, how do you even, does everybody just turn in their scorecards when they get back the next day for qualifying? Pretty much. That's how it went. Yeah. And so like there was days and, and, but the the stupid thing about that is let's say I go out there and shoot a 46. I'm not turning in that damn card. That, that, that round doesn't exist. You know, so everybody's sitting there shooting 42 or lower because, you know, anything above 42, they're like, yeah, I'm not turning into that card. Yeah, I did a range uh, day today, coach. Yeah, or, or you know, whatever. I went to tutoring. What, you know, whatever, right? So yeah, we didn't get any instruction. Um, and what's so funny is, is that I noticed because I I drove, uh, and I think I told the story online, but if I didn't, uh, we had one golf coach in Pasadena High School when I was teaching there. And so when there were boys and girls were playing in the same weekend, she couldn't go to both tournaments. So she, uh, since I had my, my CDL, she said, hey, can you drive the girls this week? Or, hey, can you drive the boys this week? So I'm driving, you know, I'm driving the boys. And we're playing, they were playing, the tournament was at Country Place. That's where we used to hold I, uh, regionals, I think. Which is like where Pearland, I think it's called Pearland Country Club now. And yeah. y'all were out there. And it was probably, uh, it it was probably before you, because uh, this would have been the early two thousands. So you, oh, oh four to oh eight. Yeah, so it was it was before you. But I'm looking at you know the Clear Lake team. I'm like, they got matching shirts and bags. What the fuck is this, dude? You hey, should have seen the swag that when, when wait, my mother got hold of the fundraising committee. Like my mom put on a, a scramble and she raised like twenty five thousand dollars for the team. And we swagged out. Oh, we had we, we had Footjoy rain gear, all of it matching with the logo. I still have it. I refuse to throw it away. This is a Footjoy jacket. I'm keeping that shit. Everybody got a new golf bag with their name on the golf bag. We had four different shirts for tournaments, depending on which ones. Oh, dude, we were swagging. Oh for no, sure. our coach was not doing any of that shit. You needed a you needed someone like my mom to fundraise. Well, but the, she, even even if you had a mom that was dedicated, he wasn't going to do what he needed to do to step up. And, and make it happen. And so, yeah, my, my Pasadena team's out there, right? And so I'm sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driving around just kind of watching them. And I'm watching this guy kind of use his club to kind of smooth out the area around his ball in the bunker. And I'm just, I, I put my head in my hands like, oh, God, you know, what the hell's going on? And so these guys are getting back at the end of the tournament. Hey man, I had a great day. I was ten under. I'm like ten under. What? This other guy. Well, I wasn't quite as good. I was only five under. And I'm like, what in the hell are y'all talking about? They're talking about ten under max. Oh so, god. So you know, I thought you were gonna say hundred. I thought you were like, no. You know, how, like double pars the max. Yeah. So I, I didn't. That wasn't. You know, that that was new age fakel stuff. We. We had to keep playing until we could put the ball nah, in the pace hole. Of, pace of play, bro. Pace of play. So these guys are shooting like 134, 139. Hey, I was 10 under. 
And I had never seen in a golf tournament until I went to that day a team that didn't break 500. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I'm just like, and I'm the golf coach, you know, at least in person, you know, for this team. But our coach, so basically what he would do is we would get a sleeve of balls and a glove. If you got gloves? Yeah. Okay. A little so, swag. A little swag. Yeah, but, you know, just that and a sleeve of balls. And then the other part was he would spend $5 a man on our lunch. Okay, because I was gonna—I was just about to ask you about this. And so one day, this was the year before I got there because I—I talked to there's a, some guys I knew that were older that were on the team. So apparently one day, he, uh, you know, everybody's finishing up, and he walks out and he just pulls his pockets out of his pants. Sar boys, I lost your lunch money playing gin rummy. And you're just like, and if that had ever happened, it's like, oh, you son of a bitch. You know, what so, the- I wanted to ask about that specifically because when I was playing high school tournaments, whoever the course was that was hosted a tournament, when you got done, they always had like a chafing dish of like burgers. And then there was like a plate of cheese and buns. And when you make your own burger, get a bag of chips. South Shore was always the exception. They always, South Shore always did spaghetti with meat sauce. So I always wanted to go to the South Shore tournament because it wasn't just a shitty hamburger. But then I'm coaching my first T kids and they're telling me a story like yours where the coach has to go take them for food afterwards. And I was like shocked because food was always part of the tournament for us. Like you got done, you finished your round, you sat at the table, everybody ate their lunch and they looked at the scores as they went up on the, on the uh, big sheet. And I, I just, it's, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around these kids today who their coach is taking them out for food instead of the, the, the course just providing the after round meal. So the only time we got a meal at the course was actually when we were playing district at Baywood my freshman year. They played district at Baywood. They played district at Baywood. You're looking. You're looking right now at a former Baywood Country Club member, Scott. That yeah. might have been one of my favorite memberships. My brother and I ran fucking rough shot over that golf. My mom would drop us off at 10 a.m. and come back and pick us up at six. We'd play nine, go for a swim, play another nine, go for a swim go to the range, go for another swim, put some chicken fingers on somebody else's account, have a little lunch, and boom, we're going home. So we're sitting there, so we're playing, this is the first round was at Baywood. In fact, I don't think both rounds were at the same, I think the the last round made a bit at Bay Forest, now that I'm thinking about it. But, you know, they gave us a burger after night. So our, our Swedish foreign exchange student, Frederick, God love him. Nobody else would. I mean, he was just he was just an ass. I mean, he's the kind of guy who would show like, I shut thirty eight and I wasn't happy with it. You're like, just, that's me. I'm sorry. Like, I, I guess I'm in that well, category. But this is the way he would say it, right? You know, he, he's just being a jackass, right? And so he gets in there and he shoots like, I want to say like something like thirty seven forty six at Baywood. And so we're on the bus and the coach, you know, coach is asking him what the hell happened. I didn't get a burger at night and my hair started bothering me. And so he just looked at him and he's in the back of the bus. So he's yelling this out, Frederick, you're just a pussy. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. Um, 
but that is the only time I think we were ever fed on the golf course uh, in, in four years. Um, so it was quite that's, remarkable. That's so astounding to me. It literally, I never, I didn't go to one single high school tournament in my four years of playing where there wasn't food. So we would go to like McDonald's or Burger King. Uh, it, it would just, you know, afterwards. And uh, fortunately, he didn't lose any of our money ever. Um, that was you know, the year before I got there. Maybe that's uh, why they had to start going to that. Maybe I would bet there's some schools whose golf teams are not well funded that didn't get the meal. Right? Yeah, that that might, might be. I I don't know. I, I don't have any inside dirt on that. Because I but, don't know. If, I don't know about you. Like when we played, um, any because there's always two teams from every district go to regionals when we were there. I don't know if it was the same for you, but it was your district yeah. winner and then the, the runner up, yeah. right? So some of these other districts, and you know, I'll, I'll mention yours. You know, Pasadena, there were not two good golf teams, yeah, right? No, there yeah. was one, and then whoever sucked the least after that. Yeah. So then you get to that second round where, like, the number two, like our number two in our district, clearly like high schools, Creek pretty much won every year. Creek was, Creek had like some dominant freaking golfers, so we were always at number two. So then we're playing with the other number twos, and you're playing with guys who, as you said, are pumped that they ten times didn't get. Du- triple you know double bogey max and you're just wanting to throw this kid in the lake and i guarantee you there's not a lot of money in that golf budget for for teams like that in in the inner city of houston and stuff like that to go get mcdonald's on the way home so i, I would assume at some point they had to say hey you know part of part of what we're paying you guys for is to put a tray of burgers out there but i don't know when it went away i'd, I'd be curious i don't know how you do a study like that without yes. sounding like a creeper like hey do you guys put burgers out for the kids tournaments like well, it's weird, you know, uh, when I coached at Galveston, this was volleyball, but I, this was true for every sport. Every time we left the island, they paid for us to go to Whataburger. So I got to the point where I was tired of Whataburger for a while. It took me, it took me years to be able to go back to a Whataburger. Uh, and this was I, back- I'm going to make a statement here that's going to piss a lot of people off, Scott. I think Whataburger is kind of overrated. I really do. Well, I don't know. You'd be happy to uh, happy to know they're building an In and Out Burger down here. Love it. Uh, there's a, there's one up here. Uh, have you ever heard of Hat Creek? I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh my goodness! They they got a little seasoning on their fries, Scott. It's just mwah, delightful. And so we're. Uh, it's actually going to be. Uh, so you, I don't know when the last time you came down here, but uh, they have a new H E B that's on. Uh, yeah, I was I was down there. For my wife's baby shower, like a month ago. Yeah, so the forty, so right there at El Dorado, uh, and the forty-five. There's that, you know, the HEB that's you know kind of down the way. That's where the In-N-Out Burger is going to be. They're actually in the process of building it now. Um, I liked Whataburger, whatever they would offer all of the variety burgers, you know, because you could get like a different burger, you know, every time, but. I mean, this was a this is a massive undertaking, if you could imagine. I mean, we're bringing four volleyball teams everywhere we go, and so you're talking like 50 girls plus coaches. That, that must have taken forever. Oh, like, that yeah. must have taken forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about adding an extra hour, hour and a half, you know, to every. Don't you wish you could have had the app and you're like you could have ordered it ahead of time in an app and then pick it up when you're done with the game? Well, like, that and, would have been sweet. Well, and dealing with it where you're having to give them like a special code because I'm not paying for 50, uh, 50 girls to, you know, because you're talking about like 
$300, you know, more than that. So, yeah, it was so, – so I guess it kind of depends. Uh, yeah, I was not paying for my kids when I took them to Pasadena. The only cool thing I had is one time I played uh, – I was able to play with other coaches. They were able to, like uh, – we could bring our clubs and we could kind of just play, you know. They were able to fit us in. So that was kind of cool that we could play the course. Uh, but, gosh – you talk about it, just rough watching these guys because they don't know the rules. I mean, they're, they're they're sitting there doing Judge Smills kind of stuff, like kicking the ball back in the fairway, but they're doing it because they don't they don't freaking know any better. And you know, and, and the people they're playing with at that point, they don't fucking care. Well, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever will get you, whatever will get you off this course and, and give me the right of way to hit again faster. Fucking do it. Yeah, if you're shooting a one thirty seven, you're not in any danger of beating me. So you know, go ahead. I mean, that's. Yeah, it was rough. Uh, I still my one of my funniest memories. I'll never forget this. Uh, I'm playing, and this is another another course that I think it when it's well when it was well maintained, it was a great track, and now it's a dump. Uh, is Battleground? Oh yeah, um, yeah. But I'm I'm playing a tournament at Battleground, and this a kid from a school like you know it might even honestly Scott, it might have even been past the memorial. Uh, I said, hey, you're in my line. Can you move it? And he goes one or two, and I go two. <laughs> Okay, and for those of you who don't know, um, when when we're asking that, we're talking about putter head. I I, I know where this is going. He does two fucking full club lengths. Well, I'm like, well, you're not in my lane anymore. That's for sure. We have this jackass we're playing with uh, ball high. Okay, so I've if I've told the story before, forgive me. But you know how you're on the first tee and everybody's you know, declaring what ball they're playing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm playing Titleist 3. So I'm playing a Max 5-4. I'm playing, you know, I don't know if Shrixen was out back then. Probably not. But, you know, we'll just say, you know, Titleist 7. And the, the guy from Baha'i, I'm playing Clear Creek Ronge. <laughs> Ronge. It's a French ball. <laughs> the coach I was working is like, no, you're not. Uh, but no, this this kid from Baha'i, I think it may have been the same kid. So, you know how like some people will put down their putter head on the ground uh, to kind of mark where their you know where their ball is. You know, they may pick up their ball and clean it and that sort of thing. Well, what he would do is he would put his putter head down, but it would accidentally scoot forward about two feet, and then he would put his ball down. You're just like, we had one like that, except he would, it's like, what this the is hell? the fastest walker. This kid would walk so fast. And then you'd see him go to Marco's ball. You would see this and you would see like a little glint in the air. And then you'd see his ball two feet from the hole. And it got to the point like we made a rap about him. It was bad swing, shank the ball, throw the coin by that hole, throw the <laughs> coin by that hole. And like, he got so fucking pissed, man. This kid got a college scholarship off of cheating. He cheated his way onto the top five. And then, and then actually just started practicing really hard and got pretty good. But like, dude just cheated as hard as he could. Like it was, it was something else, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, But yeah, it was a fun time out there playing with some of the, some of those other schools who had no fucking idea what was going on. You feel bad for them too. Like you feel bad for those kids. 
But then you talk to them and they're like, well, they don't have to be at school today. Like, yeah, you know, it's better than being at school. The course that was that way for me, uh, we played our golf a thought several years at this place, uh, Columbia Lakes. Okay. Used to be, we played some high school tournaments there. And that place, it had some fun holes out there. And it, when it was in good shape, I mean, that was it was a fun round of golf and it, cause you know, the, the, the rounds of golf I like are when you have holes that are going to kick your ass, but you have holes out there that you can score on, you know, that's, that's when you, it's a fun round of golf. Like there was one where it's like the, uh, the, the part of a par five where you literally, I mean, it was more than a 90 degree dog leg. I mean, it was like maybe 120 degrees, but, there was, it was a dog lay right, but there's water down the right side. And so you can't really bomb it unless you're like John Daly. You could, you know, bomb it back in those days, but uh, you had to play it down left. And so it, they forced you into a three shot par five. Uh, it, was, it was kind of an interesting hole because, you know, you have, you know, the water kind of coming down the right side. So you had that question, okay, how much of this hole can I eat off? You know, do I want to risk it or, you know, do I want to just bail left and just, you know, make, you know, make bogey basically. Uh, but yeah, I mean, fun holes out there. There was a par five on the back nine. It was like number six, 17, um, I think where it was like four seventy, but the last 50 yards of it's water. And the green was probably the size of my living room. I mean, you're talking tiny, tiny green. So, South Shore had, had one like that, too. It, it runs along the road. Uh, I can't remember which one of the three nines it's on, but there's a par five with an island green where um, it's not very long. It, 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 yeah, it's 18. The fairway's downhill. Okay, yeah, yeah, the fairway's downhill. Yeah. Um, it's, a risky, it's a risky second shot if you want to go for it, but you can hit it. Well, especially if you're teeing off of one of the forward tees because the forward tees yeah. are in front of that ravine. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're down to like 420. You're like, man, if I bomb this drive, I've hit that green. Uh, but yeah, and so so let's let's yeah. ask real quick because we we were talking favorite holes, but I want you to give me with your favorite course you've ever played, and then the hardest course you've ever played. Not the not necessarily least favorite, but the hardest golf course that you've ever played. Hardest course I've ever played, probably. Uh, it's probably a tie between uh, Walden and Lake Conroe. Is I had a blow up there. I, I had numerous blow ups there. You know, and I mentioned a, a previous story where the guy uh, that owes me thirty dollars, but you know, uh, with interest and uh, inflation adjusted, should be close to a hundred. I was playing with him in an HGA tournament out there, and he's an ass. He's an absolutely, especially he wasn't he, he wasn't good. And somebody, you know that that one par three that's like an island green out there. Yeah. Somebody just you know completely blocked it out. They're they're thirty yards right of everything, and he's like hit a fish and bounce on the green. It's like you fucking dirtbag. <laughs> Just you know, but yeah, that course. You know, you had two double dog leg par fives. I mean, it just yeah, that course ate my absolute lunch. Uh, and Bentwater, 
has two courses, you know, cause we played the golf a thon about three years in a row uh, until this year. And the greens are tough to putt. Uh, they're extremely fast and there's some holes out there. You're just like the way my game is structured right now. Where I'm sitting there like, I can't do anything here. <laughs> you know, what do you want me to do? Uh, and so, you know, th- those two kind of come to mind as the most difficult. I-, I still think Waterwood National is probably my favorite course I've ever played. Just because there were some difficult holes out there. But if you're a good golfer, you could score. And, and those are you know, kind of the most fun to play. Yeah, I think those are good ones. I think that's really fair. Um, when I think hard courses, um, to me, there's really one in the Houston area that sticks out more than any other, and it's the Woodlands Country Club. Uh, they should call it the Water Country Club because there's so much water. That 18th hole is one of the t- – it's a, it's a collection of island fairways, narrow island fairways, par five, where you got to hit like three straight – very accurate iron shots now, to you, have a chance at birdie. Are you talking TPC or are you talking uh, any of the other ones? Whatever one they would have played a high school tournament at. I can't remember, but it was, I mean, I remember we, the Island fairways. I remember that. And it was, God, that was a hard way to finish. We, when you're limping in. We played, you know, what's funny is that we played uh, because, you know, the uh, club court took over Sasha Harbor at one point. Correct, and they combined it with MAG as like a one-all yes. one membership. But one of the things they did was that they allowed us to play any course um, that was a member of Club Corp. Um, that was a part, you know, as I think for just the cart fee, I think. Um, so we went, we went and played what used to be the North course. They changed his name. It was like Panther Trail or something like that. I, I can't remember what they – they called it, but we saw Jug Drabeck's house and his backyard, the landscaping, his backyard is probably worth more than our houses combined. Just the landscaping. Cause he had like pulled like a pitcher's mound and he just, it was like crazy tricked up, but the TPC was just stupid hard because when you're playing for the tip, I, I think it was the TPC. I'm looking at the the course right now. I never got so tired because you're playing like 450, 460 yard par fours for the tips. And those are back in the days when like if I hit it 280, I was the longest guy out there. If I could hit it 280. So, I mean, you bomb a drive and you're going 280 to a 460, now I got 180 left. So, you know, most of those holes, I got 200 or more yards. You're asking me to maybe clear water. You're asking me to, you know, to keep, you know, hit a three iron tight. It's like, come on. There's no, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, That one was hard. That one. And then I, 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 the next one, I put it both in the hard and favorite to play category uh, was Toy Pines. You know, I, I absolutely had a, a phenomenal round out there. It was my brother's bachelor party. Um, I hit, I hit the ball better, one of the better ball striking days, but being a Texas boy and you get out to a course like Torrey Pines where the greens have undulation and break, like you've never seen, I shot 84 with seven, three putts at Torrey Pines two weeks after they played a PJ tour event out there. I felt so good about myself other than the fact that I was three Jack city all over that golf course. And it was, but it was so beautiful. I mean, the whole back down you're playing against the Pacific ocean. 
and it is it's just one of the best views of is one of the best views I've ever had in the round of golf. And then I do have kind of a sentimental favorite, Scott. I'll, I'll always love Magnolia Creek. Anytime yeah. I get a chance to go back out to Mag, because my dad used to caddy there up until a year ago. So when I'd go home, I get to play Mag with him. And there's just there's just a sense of calmness on that golf course because I, I know it like the back of my hand. I know where to land balls on greens. I know I know that golf course. Like my dad can tell me he played. I say, okay, he played Ireland, England, or Scotland. He tells me, and I can follow around in my head because I've played probably 150 rounds of golf out there. I was a member there for two years, and there was a time period in the Clear Lake area. Those were the best greens you could find. Yeah, there was no, there was no better greens in Clear Lake than Magnolia Creek every year. Um, Club Corps got a hold of them, and, and as they do, Club Corps made things worse. But when when Mag was like a semi private course, um, God, it was sweet, man. They used to even I don't know if you remember they had the yardage books like legit yeah, landed yeah. yardage yeah. books in the car. Like man, that was a great experience. They had some of some of the cars had AC. And they would blow cold there on the back of your neck during your round. Like, yeah, that's that's that that's one of those courses though that they have holes out there that'll kick your butt, but then you have holes that you can score on. Every par easy. four has at least one drivable. Yeah, every has at least yeah. one drivable par four. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's not there's almost no water to speak of. You, you can drive it all over that place, and as long as you can find your balls, you may have some precarious situations, but you can play it. I mean, it's just a great golf course. Uh, I have broken par on Torrey Pines, but that was on my computer. (laughs) I got to tell you, Scott, it's probably not the same. I couldn't imagine how beautiful that course was. But being there two weeks after the AT&T and seeing the conditions that these guys play in, I mean, I had rough up to mid-calf, and that was just PJ Tour. That wasn't a major. That wasn't – it was just a regular tour event. And it's just like, this is what these guys play in? Like, I hit a good drive that barely went out of the fairway, and I'm making a guaranteed double. The nicest course I ever saw in person, <laughs> um, and unfortunately we couldn't play it because it was pouring down rain, Harbortown in uh, South Carolina. Because um, that it, it was pouring down rain. We're sitting here standing out on the golf course, and it was the greenest thing you'd ever seen. And there's no puddles. I mean, this course drained. You know, so well, that's in, in Harbor Town. For those of y'all who don't know, that's the course that they almost every year came right after the Masters. Uh, yeah, it's came, the RBC. They play the RBC Heritage, it's called, is the tournament out there. And so the last hole, the 18th hole, is uh, they've put on their tour 18. I'm sure you've played that out. In, uh, yeah, uh, I, that's that's a that's a fun time, but it, it's also really expensive for what it is. It is, and. and there's just no cohesion. Correct. A and the, like, the fact that you're like, you're playing a, a, a 12 at Augusta and then you get up there and the fucking greens look like shit. You're like, this is not 12 at Augusta. I stuck that thing. I stuck it the first time I played it about two feet from the hole. You know, and of course you're, you're being a jackass, man, this hole isn't that hard. What the hell? And then the next time you play it, you put it in the drink and you're like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's a fun course, but you go in there tempered expectations, right? It's not you're not really playing Augusta. But speaking of Augusta, I do want to say, Scott, for the first time in my life, I entered the Masters ticket raffle this year. We actually, my dad, unfortunately, he doesn't travel. I mean, he can't really travel that much. But we have he has a neighbor that has tickets already. And, uh, yeah, uh, they've they've like been grandfathered in so they have them every year 
Okay. And, but unfortunately he's at the point now we've talked, we talked about doing it, but he's just at the point now where he can't really, you know, travel all that much. Um, that's a bucket list for me. I would kill. Oh yeah. I would kill to go. And oh, I, yeah. I put my name in the hat. I've never, I've never been in a position financially. Like if I won, I wouldn't be able to go. Um, but I, I think now I'm at the point in my life where I would be able to go if I won the tickets. And yeah. um, I would have to ask. Time fingers off, crossed. Yeah, I'd have to ask time off of school. That's the only thing. Um, but my principal's pretty uh, good guy. He let me go this year to Disney you know, during the school year. So, Hey, who knows? Hey, everybody, right. gets PTO. everybody gets PTO that you use your PTO. You don't have to ask. All right. So kind of get into this, uh, uh, part of the show. And I had a scumbag picked out this morning and something happened today where I have to change. I have to change horses. I want you to go first. I want you to tell this story, Scott. All right. So uh, this, you know, last night, let me set the scene. Let's back uh, it up even further. Let's refresh, right? This this is all about we're trying to get Scott yeah, yeah, playing yeah. great golf again. This right. is where we're at. If you've been listening, Scott has taken a lot of steps into getting the proper information necessary to get the right clubs for him to play a little bit better golf. Right. So, t- you know, Tim brought up the idea of slipping in an ad into one of my wife's magazines. I believe I call uh, it the Christmas story. Yeah, there. the Christmas story. <laughs> we watch the Christmas story every year. So, I mean, it, it is a... They give you they give you about eight chances throughout the course of the day to watch it. Yeah, it, uh, we do it every year. We have it on DVD, even if they were to stop doing that. It's, it's a Christmas tradition in our family. But I was just talking to her, you know, because we're talking about Father's Day. And I was like, you know, what new clubs? And she said, that's fair. Then she said, you know, we're spending so much money on band or spending so much money on our vacation. We had a cat that we had to put to sleep, but we spent over a thousand bucks on this cat, you know. And so when you add everything all up, it's just hard to go out and spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a set of clubs. So she's like, hey, but, you know, if we were to give you a gift card, you know, where would you want it? And so I listed what golf scores stores there are. So I listed, you know, obviously, you know, golf galaxy. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the store that I looked in, in in league city. And so she knows where these places are. And so I'm like sitting there thinking, you know, she'll probably go to HEB. She'll get like a, you know, maybe a Dick's gift card, which is golf galaxy basically. And so I was like, I'm just going to go on the golf galaxy website, see what they got. Cause I know they sell, you know, used clubs, you know, they sell new clubs. It's like, let's, let's see what they have. And they actually had a version of what I, uh, what I got fitted at, at the shop for $600. And it's actually, you know, kind of an interesting set because basically what, what they did is, uh, seven iron through wedge. It's an actual iron, but, uh, the five and six iron, are basically uh, rescue clubs. So you're like, okay, combination looks, you know, and they're offered it for five, $600. And so I'm pieced it together in my head. So, okay, if I get $250 for my clubs, okay, if I get, you know, a $100 gift card here, $100 gift card there, you know, maybe, you know, I can finagle it. So there on the screen, there's a chat line. 
so uh, you know i was going to ask you know, a couple of questions about the products and they said you know what we have a free club fitting you know where where you could virtually do this and you could talk to somebody for 45 minutes and i'm sitting there thinking well i'm not doing much you know today so i signed up for 10 a.m it's supposed to be setting up for microsoft teams so i get on microsoft teams at 10 a.m nobody shows up i'm waiting there for 20 minutes and finally i'm calling the number i'm doing the email and one company is supporting the tech and they said well you can't really deal with us you're gonna have to deal with golf galaxy so you get with golf galaxy and they're like well I don't know anything about it, so you're going to have to call your, your closest store. I said, and so they gave me the first numbers. They gave me the number for the Webster store, which is under renovation. So I was like, nope, can't use that one. Okay, well, we're going to give you a Pearland. So calling up Pearland. Pearland doesn't have a Golf Galaxy. They just have a Dix. And so the guy says there, uh, club fitting here will be $60. I'm like, well, you're talking about me driving 45 minutes to an hour and paying $60 on top of that, and I'll pass. Look back at the calendar, and they've moved my appointment to 11 o'clock. So I was like, okay, maybe there's some confusion. So I log back on 11 o'clock, wait another 20 minutes, nobody's there. And so now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing emails, I'm calling, I'm on the chat line. Basically, every person is sitting there saying, I don't know anything. And then the last person uh, who talked to me said, well, it looks like the store would be able to look that information up. So I'm going to hook you up with the Golf Galaxy off of Richmond. So we're talking in the Galleria now. And so I, I told them the whole story. And I told them about the fact that, you know, the one in Pearland is going to uh, offer me $60 you know, to do Cluffy, he says, I honestly don't know what the hell you're talking about. He says, in order for you to get fit in irons, it's going to cost you a hundred. Uh, if you want to do a driver, that'll be 70. We'll fit you in with a putter for 20, or you could just do the whole bag for 220. And I'm like, um, no. So when I'm on customer service, no, this is the funny one. And she's, I've been talking to this woman. She's really nice. She just doesn't know anything. And she says, I'm just glad that these calls are being recorded right now because, you know, somebody you know, in the higher ups needs to hear this. Because basically what I told her is, it says, listen, you're offering this for free. I'm not out any money. I'm out time. That says, my only suggestion to you is that if you're going to offer a service, but you're not going to support it, don't offer it. Because, you know, basically nobody's supporting this. At that moment, the tech company that's running it sends me an email and they want to, how was your customer service experience? And I told her and I read this email to her and she started laughing. She's like, hold my beer. I would be just completely eviscerating them if I were you right now. And so I got offline with her. And I, that's what I did. I completely eviscerated him. And then I told the chat line, it says, you know what? I'm a co-host of a podcast. You can guarantee I am bringing up this experience on the podcast. So you know what, Golf Galaxy? Because you wasted more than two hours of my day, 
you're a scumbag. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm absolutely with you. It's still available on the website. I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah, that's pretty embarrassing on their part, Scott. And it's sad because Golf Galaxy, when I was growing up, was a pretty great store. Like I still remember when the one it was on Bay Area, but it was on it was further down past the mall on the left, right? It was over by like where the Toys R Us was. Um, I remember when that one opened, and to this day, I'll never forget this. I I had a little bit more money in my pocket than your average high schooler did. My dad's restaurant was very popular for a while. Like in for that time in Clear Lake, there was not a lot of great restaurants out there, right? Like you had Perry's, which I think Perry's was ridiculously overrated. You had my dad's Carabas on Barria, which was fucking bumping on a nightly basis. And then you had like Zio's, you had uh, you know, Olive Garden, you had Macaroni Grill, all that crap. So me working at my dad's restaurant, I'm making 75 to 100 bucks cash every night that I'm there. So as a high schooler, that's pretty good money. I don't have rent. I don't I you know, I don't have a car payment. I'm I'm doing pretty good and I play golf. So what am I going to spend that money on? It's golf clubs. So I I was a very frequent uh buyer of clubs from Golf Galaxy and I oftentimes would go in, check the used clubs cuz this is a time period where like there was always some rich asshole out there who would buy the new model every year, trade the old one in, and now you're getting a, a great deal on a driver if you just happen to be there at the right time. And I was hitting a bunch of different used ones trying to decide which one I want to go with, and I'll never forget this guy like kicks me out of the store. And he basically like accused me of using the simulator machine as my own personal range station. Uh, and so like I wrote a letter to Golf Galaxy, you know, talk about how can you talk about growing the game when you're kicking kids out? Like, I'm sorry, I can't afford new clubs. I can only afford a used club. And they sent me like a hundred dollar gift card and that guy got fired. So then two weeks later, I'm going to check in for my tea time at Mag. Well, guess who the fuck do? Guess who the new pro shop guy is at Magnolia Creek? None other than the guy who got fired for my complaint email um, is now that assistant pro. At uh, at the course at Magnolia Creek, and now he's got to pat my butt a little bit because I'm a member out there. And uh, craziest part of that story, like a year later, I get assigned. I'm like, I make office aid my one of my electives in high school, and and she's the the registrar is that guy's wife, and I'm like doing all this stuff for him, and she's like, yeah, he got let go by Golf Galaxy, and now he works out at Mag. I'm just like, oh yeah, I don't know what could happen at Golf Galaxy. I don't know there. We had a golf shop, so we didn't have Golf Galaxy or Golfsmith yet. Um, Golfsmith was my go-to whenever it was built over by Best Buy. That was but, a nice store. Golfsmith but, was a really nice store. But uh, there was one, and I and, and this shows you how long ago this happened. Um, was there? Do you remember? Was there a Lowe's Theater where Luby's and Fuddruckers is now behind Pappas? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. Okay, so this goes this goes back a ways then. Um, so there was a a huge strip center with a Lowe's, the Lowe's theater. So basically, your choice was when you're going to a theater is that you could go to Point NASA Six, they called it, or Lowe's. That was your two theaters, right? Then there was the Dollar Cinema if you wanted to uh, to stick to the floor. Uh, you could go to the dollar cinema 
uh, saw a double impact there with John Claude Van Damme. That was uh, I saw unaccompanied minors worth, there, and my their, shoes were still sticking to the floor fifteen years later. Like worth, I, it's probably the same gum, realistically. Worth every penny. But yeah, there was a golf store right there in the corner, and they kind of had the same thing because I was hanging out there like you know on a daily basis, and that's where I bought my Ben Crenshaw, you know, blade putter. Uh, so yeah, I spent a lot of money there. And, and, and this is basically what I told the lady is, is this. It says, listen, you know, I'm not mad that the guy in Richmond wants to charge me for club fitting. I'm not mad at that. I understand. You know, you have expertise. You have somebody that wants your time, wants to use your expertise. I think $220 for the whole bag is a little is, is way excessive. But if you wanted me to throw you $50 for, you know, doing that basic thing, yeah, okay, I got it. But don't sit there and offer this free service if you're not going to back it up. That's the whole thing. You know, don't offer it. If you're not, if, if nobody anywhere has any idea, because, you know, I was talking to, uh, to Janet and my daughter about it and they said, maybe they were hacked. It's like, well, no, it's on their website. They're offering it on their website. And I would have thought that at some point, somebody along the lines would have gone like, you know what? We don't offer that. I don't know who's telling you we offer that, but nobody did. They just sat there and go, I don't know how to access that information. You're just like, you're useless to me. All right. Tim's got a scumbag. Let's hear what Tim's got. I'm going to hop back on live again. Uh, we're back on. Jay Monahan is, is my scumbag this week. I, I know we touched on at the beginning of the show, but um, for many reasons, it's, it's selling out Roy McIlroy. It is, you know, making these players think they were having to take a moral stand when in actuality it was just a power move for you. And it's what's even more scumbaggy to me, Scott, is is the fact that um, he made the fans feel like they had to choose the moral high ground, and then he ripped that high ground right from under us by putting us all golf fans in bed with Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons I didn't like the Live Tour. You know, a lot of it had to do with you know the MAGA influence of it as well. So now are you going to tell me that all those people are just going to come? to PJ tour events and think they can like bump music and act like assholes out there. Cause they could do that at live events. Like, is that what we're looking at? I just don't understand on a golf perspective, how you do something like this and not talk to your players at all. How do you let your players find out on Twitter at the same time as everybody else? How do you do this to the fan base who, again, you made us all feel like we had to make a choice. Like I, I literally felt like as a fan, I can't be a live fan. I had a PGA tour fan. You've got to pick one. And it's, you know, it's a similar frustration I have to the way the Astros were scope gated uh, scope. Go. Uh, what we were blamed. It's not going to happen. Scapegoated. There it is. That's what I'm trying to get out. We're not, you know, we were scapegoated for the sign stealing scandal when everybody was doing it. You know, and, and, and as fans, we took a lot of the brunt of that. Like, as someone who doesn't live in Houston but still wants to go to Astros games, you know, I'm not necessarily taking my life in my hands when I go to Rangers game, but I'm very well aware someone could probably try and start shit with me. And I have to be on alert the entire time I'm there simply because I got an Astros star on my hat. You know, and now it's it's going to be the same thing with the PJ Tour. It is just, um, 
I'm being forced to support an entity that I don't want to support at the end of the day. And I don't see how this grows the game. I really don't. Everything they've done has been talking about the growth of the game, making it a global game, yada, yada, yada. I mean, all we're going to do now is get a few extra events that are team events, and that's it. That doesn't grow the game. You let some people get a huge fucking bag of money that there's no consequences for. We talked in our political show this week about what the consequences for Ray, for uh, Richard Nixon could have been and what, what our society would look like if we held those guys accountable. And now here we are again. These guys made a choice. They, they decided to go to live. They took the money, and it means no Ryder Cup. It means eventually you're going to fall out of the world golf rankings to the point where you're not going to play majors anymore unless you can you know, win one like Kepka. But no, we all that was for nothing. It was a big it was a big facade. And you know, I've been getting into not watching actual wrestling, but one of uh behind the bastards did a six-part series on on Vince McMahon. And it, I just can't help but think this is what was difference between this and a stupid Vince McMahon storyline on WWE. Cuz that's all that this was. It was a really bad stupid wrestling storyline where everybody hugs up becomes tag team partners at the end. Like, that's what it was. And it was, it's just as disheartening as a fan, as a golfer, as someone who I truly feel I am trying to spread the game. I'm trying to make this a game that young kids enjoy playing. I'm out there literally, not quote unquote, on the front lines. I'm, I'm giving my time to make this something that kids want to do and to grow the game. And this guy's out here growing his fucking banking account at the end of the day and using the game of golf to do it. This is what I don't get about this. So if you think about the most successful professional sport, at least in the United States, by a long shot, is the NFL. It's the NFL. I mean, there, there, there's no, I mean, there's no argument about that. So the NFL has had a bunch of rival leagues that have cropped up. You know, you have the USFL, you have the Canadian Football League, you have uh, the XFL, you have uh, the All-American Football League, you know, just all these little ragtag bunches. You had NFL Europe for a while. So what have they done? They've looked at these other leagues and they've looked at some of the things that these other leagues have done that are popular. And they said, let's do that ourselves. So, you know, the PGA Tour could have easily grown the game, taken some of the more popular elements of Live, and just adopted it for themselves. You like the team concept? Let's do the team concept here, you know, the PGA Tour. But see, I think what bothers me about this more than anything is like if you to look at, you know, if you look at the NFL, you look at the NBA, you look at Major League Baseball, you look at the, the National Hockey League, these leagues all have robust unions. And you look at like Major League Baseball. I didn't really particularly like it when they expanded the playoffs again. But the players were involved in every step of the way of that decision. And the players sat there and said, if we're going to let you expand the playoffs, you're going to have to do this for us. Where was the player representation throughout this entire negotiation period. There was none. There, there was, was none. none. It was done behind closed doors. So, you know, to me, if you had gotten together like a, a panel of like maybe a dozen. They golf- have that though. No, they have. What's frustrating, Scott, is they have the player advisory committee. 
It is elected amongst the Torah. It's, it's essentially like every team in baseball has their union rep, right? That goes yeah. and speaks on behalf. It's, it's the same thing. The player advisory committee is exactly fucking built for this. It is, it is, it is what they used last time for that big meeting that quote unquote saved the day less than a year ago when we came up with all the designated events and shit. They used the player action committee. And now yeah. when they literally are doing the thing that the players should be involved in, I mean, the only way to make this right is you're going to have to write fat fucking checks for these guys. And where's the money? Is that what the Saudi money is going to do? Is Rory and Tiger and and Rom and JT and Spieth, they all get $50 million? But what about, what about you know, Joel Damon? Those were the type. Those were the type of players who were getting thirty, forty million dollar guaranteed offers. Those are the guys who really got fucked because they decided, no, I'm going to stay loyal. But at the end of the day, they would have been the ones who are way richer than they are right now. And, that's and again, what, I don't love where the money comes from, but these guys got fucked. I don't, and that's what I don't understand. Because if you know, to me, if you'd gotten together and you would have had 10, 12, 15, I don't know how many players are on this committee, but if you would have had like if Rory McIlroy. Is there part of the negotiation process the whole way? And he comes out of it and he sits there and says, you know what? There's there's some things I don't like, but overall it's a fairly decent deal for the players. Because that's that's how this works. Because baseball for years. And, and here's what's crazy too, Scott. No, I don't mean to interrupt. The player action committee has quite a collection of players, right? The, the board of directors is Patrick Cantley. Charlie Hoffman, Peter Malnati, Roy McIlroy, and Webb Simpson. That's a pretty distinguished group. You've got Adam Scott, Ryan Armour, Sam Burns, Corey Connors, Ricky Fowler, Bryce Garrett, oh, Garnett, Kevin Mitchell, Maverick McNeely, Shane Lowry, Mackenzie Hughes, Max Homa, Brian Harmon, no- Henrik Norlander, Scotty Scheffler, Kevin Stroman, Wills Altouris. I'd have to say that covers every aspect of the PGA Tour, right? You've got your high, high-octane guys. You've got Scotty. You've got Rory. Uh, you've got Patrick Gantley who contends. You've got fan favorites in Adam Scott and Ricky Fowler. You've got the, the you know the mules of the tour who carry it, and Ryan Armour and Brian Harmon and, and Kevin and Keith Mitchell. You've got everything you need. You could have got every fucking opinion you needed. It's already there. I don't get it. It, it is well. Look it at is so. Look at so. Look at the like. If you want to compare two sports, right? There are still lots of people that are not happy with the new Major League Baseball rules. There's people that are not happy with the pitch clock. There are people that are not happy with uh, the, the no shifting. There are people that are not happy with uh, the larger bases. or you know, the, the larger bases I like, but there are people that are not happy with these changes. But when the owners made these changes, they had to go through the players. The players had to sit there and say, you know what? Yes. We'll consent to this. I mean, could you imagine if if Rob Manfred just all of a sudden came down and said, you know what? Strikeouts are now two strikes. And it didn't go through any player or union? I mean, that would be the craziest thing ever. You hit him with the slow pitch rules. Everybody starts with the 1-1 count. Yeah, I mean, I've actually heard people suggest that. But – in order for them to do it, they would have to go through the players. And that's the whole thing is that if you want to put live and PGA together, that's fine, but you needed the players there to sit there and give their perspective on how this would affect them. I think the players need a legitimate union. I think the player action committee is fine. 
But the things that you mentioned are legitimate players unions, right? MLB yeah. Players Association, NFL Players Association. They need a they need a legit strong union. And it, it tried to happen before, but some of the bigger golf stars in the 70s, you know, really Jack Nicholas was a big reason we don't have a union right now in professional golf. You'd love to see it at this point. I would love to see a legitimate union because that's the only thing that would have solved this because otherwise those players, where else are they going to go? Could you right? imagine, like, well, could you imagine if like the top 150 players in the world just said, nope, we're not playing to this tournament. That's why a lot yeah. of the tour pros think Monaghan's days are numbered. They don't think he's going to make it through this. They are pissed. And so could you imagine if like, cause I, I know there's a guy, uh, one of the guys at the golf his son, Plays in the tour that plays primarily in South America. Uh, um, it's a, PG, a PGA Americas tour. So I, that's probably a couple of rungs, you know, below. But the thing is, his name is Ryan Bacha. Uh, and, you know, his his game, he, he's a good player, but he's not probably made, not long enough to be like a tour star. Um, and that's just kind of unfortunate. But, you know, otherwise he's got a good game. He just doesn't hit the ball long enough. Uh, but could you imagine if you got guys like that coming out to the Houston Open? You'd have maybe like 13 people in attendance. And then all of a sudden, everybody's going to be like, oh, the hell with this. Okay, guys, what do you want? What do you, what do you need to get back in here? Um, I I watched a replacement game. Uh, a baseball in the game. NFL? No, oh, in baseball. baseball back in 95. Uh, because they had, uh, you know, they canceled the 94 season this back when I was in college. And so we got tickets like behind the Rangers dugout, like second row for like 10 bucks. Because it's a damn, you know, nobody knows anybody that's playing there. I think the biggest name that was in the game uh, was Dave Magadan. If that, you know, if, you know, if that, you know, rings any bells, you know, going back when he was an Astro. I mean, that's how, you know, ridiculous it was. But they, they had maybe 3,000 fans in attendance because nobody has any idea who these guys are. And so you always hear, the, you know, hear these stories of replacement, and, and it's like it, it can't, it's not a sustainable model. So if the top 150 or 200 guys were to suddenly decide, you know what, screw it. We're not yeah. playing until, you know, y'all figure this out. Until y'all Look, at, what, look what, at how much of a story – I think it's Ryan Block or whatever, Stephen Block. Michael, no, Michael Block was his name. The PGA pro who finished 15th at the uh, PGA Championship. Look how much of a story that was for one week until he shot in the 80s in the next tournament that he was invited to. These guys do it week in and week out. And that's what you can count on. That's what you can bank on is that these guys are going to go out, they're going to play the toughest courses in the world, and they're going to perform. Golf can find Golf is a great sport, and it will find its stories week to week. But you're not going to have sustainable draws that make people want to buy tickets with – are not cheap nowadays. I don't know if the last time you looked up how much a PGA Tour event costs. It's like $75 to go watch. Like the Byron Nelson was 75 bucks a ticket. And to me, I'd rather just go play a nice golf course. If I'm going to spend $75 on golf, it's going to be on a course. It's not going to be to go watch PGA Tour pros. And that's with the good pros. And I'm a diehard golfer. So you lose the yeah. good pros. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, that's now. I did have a bonus scumbag this week, uh, and I, I mentioned it to you earlier this week. Uh, 
Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp are breaking up. I don't know who gets the kids. I want to see, you know, what happens with that. Shannon Sharp seems like the more rational uh, parent there in that decision. But, you know, Skip Bayless is my secondary scumbag. He was going to be my primary scumbag before the whole Golf Galaxy thing. Because he is absolutely why that they're breaking up. It's absolutely. And I listened to it, and, and I was actually listening to, like, a part of a podcast where he dictates everything that's on the show. The only thing they'll sit there and tell uh, Shannon Sharp is beforehand, these are the topics that might come up. He dictates everything is on the show. And so you listen to the, if you watch the show, it's basically Lakers talk, Cowboys talk, Tom Brady talk. Boom. Every week. Guaranteed. Nothing else is happening in the sports world. Uh, you you got to have your LeBron. You got to have Lakers. You got to have your Cowboys. We're going to debate Dak Prescott every week. And got to talk about how great Tom Brady is. That's their show. And it sounds like Shannon Sharp has finally had enough. And uh, good for him. I know he's got a very successful podcast that he has running right now. It'll be interesting to see where, you know, which platform that podcast lands on. But good for him uh, to get out from under that. And then I just, you know, Skip Bayless has bugged me for years. He made a name for himself back in the 90s when he started arguing that Troy Eggman was gay. Had no, absolutely zero evidence of it. But he was so sure. I mean, he's just the original shock jock. And, you know, God, you know, what a scumbag. I'm with you. I, I When I first signed up for Twitter in college, my first Twitter handle was Skip Bayless Sucks. Like, that's literally what my first Twitter handle was. And to me, my introduction to Skip Bayless was on Around the Horn, which um, I, I, back in the day when I was in high school, the 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock on ESPN was the greatest hour of television when you had Around the Horn and PTI back-to-back. Ugh. But they used to have, you know, Woody Page. They had um, the little Italian guy. I can't remember his name. He got in trouble with sexual harassment, so he got let go. They had, uh, I think it was like Mariani or something like that. They had um, yeah, that's Skip right. Bayless, and they had Tim like some Kalisha. other guys. Tim Kalishaw was always they had the great. Guy from L.A. Uh, what was his name? I can't remember. Bill Plasky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, uh, he's too. He's a Dodgers homer. But anyway, I hate, when Skip Bayless was on there, he was fucking terrible. He always had the worst takes. He was absolutely awful, and just everything that Skip got put on was awful. And it's just I. I can't stand that shtick, you know, as, and as someone who at the time was doing everything I could to break into the business, you know, to break into the industry. And I see Skip Bayless continually being run out there and I, I can't get my opportunity, but we're going to give this guy two, three hours of airtime a day. What are we doing? What yeah. are we doing with this? Then you got guys like him. You got Stephen A. Smith, who's another one. You got. Uh, Did I ever tell you my Stephen A. story? No, I don't think so. So I used to work for, I interned for ESPN Radio. And I was interning for them one year when the NBA All-Star came, came to town. And they needed like volunteers to work a special taping of, it was Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless when they had their show together. Uh, and it was shooting at House of Blues. 
And I hate Stephen A. Smith. I do not like him. But I was asked to escort Stephen A. Smith to some green room or whatever. So we get in the elevator. It's just the two of us. And what I meant to say was, how's Houston treating you? How's it holding up as an all-star city? What came out was, how's Houston? And he goes, man, I've been coming to the NBA for 15 years. I know what Houston is. I know what Houston does. I know Houston. And I was just like, fuck you, man. Like, you can't acknowledge that I'm like a 21-year-old kid, maybe a little nervous, trying to talk to you because it's fucking awkward that we're just standing in this elevator next to each other, and you're going to hit me with a Stephen A. blast? Like, fuck off, man. I remember his show. Uh, what was it? The one that ended up getting canceled? That I uh, Was it radio or TV? It was TV. It was the one on ESPN. I think it was uh, Quite Frankly, I think was what it was called. Okay, yeah. Which I think should have been called, however, because that's how, you know, you would do that however bit. Yeah, and, and uh, he's also a pretty big Republican, from what I understand, which kind of, you know, also kind of makes it a little bit more distasteful. Uh, I, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, Colin Cowherd's another guy that's just a, an absolute blowhard. I don't like... I, I had a period where I liked Cowherd... But it was over quickly. Like, there was a period where I thought he put good analysis on paper. But he, that's another one. His shtick has run out too long. Uh, national. But that, but also, we have to look at people my age don't listen to radio. We want we listen to podcasts, right? If there's a good – if we want a good sports show, the odds are we're going to listen to a podcast, not ESPN radio. So his audience isn't me. And, I, you know, maybe – he's real big on the – bashing on the people who kneeled for the anthem and all that other shit. So maybe he's appealing to his audience. I don't know. But, I mean, there was a, a, a one-year period where I listened to Kalashar every day. I mean, uh, Cowherd every day. Um, the best radio show, national one of all time, was, in my opinion, Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rossillo. Okay. Had an absolutely fantastic radio show. And when I met Ryan Rossillo at that same All-Star weekend, the most down-to-earth fucking guy out of them all. Ryan Rosillo was was legit. I still have like a Team Rosillo t-shirt from when he played in the celebrity game. Yeah, I just yeah, those a lot of those national guys like uh Will Cade wasn't that bad when he was on ESPN, but now he's in Fox News. You're just like uh So when I when I worked uh, at Grimaldi's, when I worked at Grimaldi's, I was always the clo- I was most of the time the closing manager and I was driving from Sugarland to like Galleria area. I lived right by Reliant Stadium. And every night on the way home, I would listen to Scott Ferrell. And I just, I could not understand how this guy had a 20 year career in radio. When his voice literally sounded like this, the Chicago Bears, what are they doing out there? Beat me up, Scotty. Let's go. Fucking three hour radio show every night. That was the voice. And I'm like, how is this guy still in the business? Well, that's oh, what he fucking sounds like. Oh, man. There's this guy on now that does the gambling stuff. And I can't make think of his name for the life of me. But, you know, he's sitting there on here and I feel like. Is that the one where they're like, we got our free winners. You just got to call this number. We'll get you our picks of the week for your guaranteed winners this week. It's one of those. But he's like, I'm a member of the Lollipop Guild. And I'm going to tell you. And I'm like, oh, my God. How does this guy, you know. How do you listen to this guy without just complete busting out laughing? Um, so, and, and yeah, I, 
I've, I've thought about calling in the show. Hi, this is I, if I remember his name. And, and see if yeah. the guys will just bust out laughing. There's just some people I don't get. Like this is an audio based medium. How how did you break into this industry sounding like that? I mean, it, Scott Farrell literally sounded like he had like the the thing that you held up to his voice, and it was the guy had a fun show, but it was just like I can only do so much before I'm like your voice is fucking terrible. It is absolutely terrible. Well, it's the ones that kill me are the ones that have like the thick Boston accents, and you're just like I can't I can't deal with you right now. I don't do a lot yeah. of Boston radio. Uh, the one that I hated the most was well, they're was the national guys. Barry Warner. I hated like, when we had Sean Bajani on. I I really did hold back on my my thoughts on Barry Warner because yeah, that guy uh, made for some of the most. Like I felt awkward sitting in the front seat of my car driving home listening to those two have arguments on air. Like it, it, you could say it made for great radio or whatever. I was fucking feeling awkward in my car. Like this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And then when when and he came to work at the station I was interning at, it was just like, can this guy just get – like, what does he have to do to be done with the business? Look at all these people who would kill for a shot, and he's now on his fourth radio station in Houston in two years because nobody wants to work with him. What are we doing? Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way about Josh Ennis. Yeah, Ennis like, is I, fucking terrible. I can see – you know, well, and the thing is with Ennis is like everything was about him. And you, you get to a while, it's like, I get banter back and forth. I get that whole idea. I mean, we do it, but eventually we have to talk about something. And also, Rich Lord was the wrong guy to have him with, right? Because Rich Lord is cast in my mind as the that guy who's sitting at a bar that you just had to end up sitting next to him, have a beer, and have a great conversation about sports with, and then, okay, we're done. Like, that's Rich Lord to me, right? Then you put this confrontational asshole in the room with like just the guy that you want to have a beer and talk sports with. Like, no, that was not, you need another confrontational asshole. So they go back and forth. Did you, not rich Lord. Did you see the blow up with Josh Ennis and Seth Payne at the Super Bowl, the media week? I did not No, No, it was like, so Josh Ennis, I mean, he was like doing his shtick by now. I think, he might have been in Philly at that point. He might have no, been back Philly. on seven ninety. Yeah, no, he was. He was. Yeah, he was not in Houston radio at that point. But he was standing near, you know, the six ten, you know, table, and paid and had enough. And you went over there, and I'm like, and I because they showed the video of it. I'm like, I don't know if Josh Ennis is going to survive this because you know, Seth Payne's a big guy, and I'm like, he's gonna, you know. He's going to eat this guy for lunch. And I said, I'd kind of back off if I was him. Yeah. Uh, the best is when they had Nick Bakai in the booth and they started making fun of his, his dad. Cause it, yeah. uh, Ennis's dad was like scru- uh, scruffy do or something like that. He was a voiceover. Yeah. Guy. He was like shaggy or one of those. Yeah. yeah. And so Nick Bakai, I don't know if you remember him, but he was like an impressionist and he would go on ESPN and do like impressions of Madden and all other stuff. No. Like he was, very famous for that. So then he comes on and he starts doing like the impression of Josh Dennis's dad. And I mean, it, it, dude, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. It broke into fisticuffs on air and like Gavin Spittles having to like run it. Like I still remember driving and just hearing all this breaking down. It was just like, then Rich Lord is like, uh, got to finish up the last hour by himself. Cause then it's got sent home. He's just like, they burned the tape. Like, I remember, like, someone called it. We're not going to refer to that incident. We we threw that tape away. We don't have any sound from that. 
Like, oh my God, dude. It it's a top five moment in Houston sports radio history. Is Josh Dennis getting in a fist fight with Nick Bakai in the six ten booth? Well, what's funny is is they they've kind of rekindled this thing and there's this bit. So I don't know if you remember like when John and Lance were on six ten. Yeah, it was, it was the morning show. Yeah, they're they were on ES, uh So they had to do, they do it. They do the sports map together now. Yeah, uh, they, they they, well, they're on the morning show in uh on, on ESPN Radio in Houston ninety seven five. So back then they were doing this bit. They're doing this commercial for trailer wheel and frame, and you could tell like Granado's just not into this thing. He's just like, I have no idea what the hell these people sell. Uh, and so they made this jingle. And so they actually still play uh, play a part of it. It's like, trailer, wheel, and frame. We got crap for work and play. And it kind of goes into that. And I think trailer, wheel, and frame just got pissed off at the song. So they you know, they pulled their sponsorship. But what's funny is they've uh, they've rekindled it. But they only use on the morning show the first part of the jingle, and so they they call it the trailer wheel and frame text line. So somebody text line, and so they hear this trailer wheel and frame. <laughs> it's just hilarious. But I mean, you, you've got to love it when they're you know they're selling stuff that like they have no idea they have no Thank use you for. for the stamp hook and like you know Scott like they have like, like you, know, when you have like somebody's ball. Wanted to recognize that our intro song called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Kroll. Not everybody's an Alex Jones, right? Where they can take a news segment and all of a sudden it into an infomercial. Before you even realize you're being sold liver pills, everybody's that natural oil salesman. We look forward oh, to yeah. you. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, when we get into Alex Jones territory, I think it's where we've gone uh, through all the information that we have for you today. Uh, but Scott, as always, it's been a pleasure. Where the, where the fans gonna find you? Well, while I'm still on Twitter, uh, it'll be S Barzilla. Uh, as always, please follow our show page on Facebook. Please drop us a line. Let us know what you're thinking and give us some ideas for scumbags. And I, as always, Tim underscore Costello 10. And do be sure to like that Facebook page. Um, soccer team's on a bye this week, so we've got a little bit of time. I'm tentative on my golf for Thursday. Uh, as long as my baby is not being born, I'm going to play. But uh, have an appointment tomorrow to check before I before I pay the dues to, to play on Thursday. But uh, a lot coming up for you next week. We hope um, hope to bring you a great show. If if we have to take a week off because my wife is giving birth, we'll figure that out when it happens. So um, getting close to that time. But appreciate everybody who joined us as we uh, kind of went a little long here, getting getting fired up on the live talk. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we look forward to seeing everybody next time on the Snap Hook.